Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Welcome to the Carlos Watson Show podcast. In this episode, Carlos interviews actor Maggie Siff. You might know her as the corporate psychiatrist on the hit TV series, Billions the wealthy owner of a department store on Mad Men, or a doctor with a wild streak on Sons of Anarchy. When they spoke earlier in the year, she was sheltering in place from coronavirus with her extended family. Okay, today I'm super excited. One of my favorite characters in all of television, Maggie Siff. You know her as Wendy Rhodes on uh, on Billions, but maybe you also enjoyed her on Mad Men, Sons of Anarchy, or I'm gonna ask her about her Law & Order cameo too. Maggie Siff, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so Maggie, where are you being safe? Where are you sheltering in place during this interesting time? Uh, yeah, we live in Brooklyn normally, and um, we are currently in Portland, Maine, where my sister and her family live, and also my mother is a block away. So sometime in March, we decided to come and pot up together and kind of uh, weather the storm up here with family. Now you're looking off to the right, which tells me there have been good times and interesting times. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, um, uh, obviously it's kind of like a mixed bag when you kind of go back to your family of origin. Like uh, I see my mother and my father and my sister and my brother-in-law, you know, every single day. And, I, you know, it's it's unprecedented. It's like, when when was the last time that happened? And uh, so it brings up a lot, but I, I also have a six-year-old daughter and it's just been kind of heavenly for her. And f- for me, that that makes up for everything that's kind of complicated about it. But we're, we've always been a really close family and I love everybody in my family. So I think we're doing all right. And I, I really think we made the right decision, especially for my daughter who just has a lot more people to jump on and you know, we're not stuck in that dreaded triangle. I don't know. For right. Those of you who have <laughs> only one child. Right, right. It can be kind of intense sometimes, you know. And so are you doing anything different? Have you rediscovered old passions? Are you spending your time differently or talking to different people as a result of 
being in a different place and, and, and in a different window? I mean, there've been a lot of, I feel like, I feel like everybody's been reconnecting with people from their past. You know, there's been a, there's been a little bit of that. Suddenly you're like, well, what's the difference between my friend who I work with every day now and my friend who lives in North Carolina, who I haven't seen in a year and there's really no difference. So I, I do feel like the virtual community thing is, is different. Um, this place and my sister in particular, she's very crafty. So suddenly I'm like knitting and sewing and things that when I'm in New York, I never do. Like I, you know, I come up here for holidays and suddenly I have like a knitting project and then I go back to New York and I don't touch it ever, ever again. But suddenly I've got like a blanket, you know, and I'm making my daughter, I'm sewing my daughter a dress and I'm baking and I just, it's not, it's not really the first, it's not the first wave of my nature. So there are these other things that are coming online, which, which are actually, you know, really uh, enjoyable and use different parts of my brain. And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm among the people in the world who are like fundamentally unemployed. So I have to find something. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Because right now, all the productions, all the TV productions, even movie productions are shut down. Is that right for you? For the most part, yeah. I mean, there are a few, there are a few like The Bold and the Beautiful. I don't know. There's like a soap opera or two. And there are some little independent films that I think are getting made. Um, I had it. Yeah. So there've been like a couple of things, but for the most part, production is shut down, especially in New York, which obviously weathered a real, a real crisis. And, you know, the production and the life of production is trying to figure out how to get back up on its feet. And nobody really knows when that's going to happen. But we were mid, we were in the middle of the season when we, when this whole thing happened. So. And, and what is, and what will that end up doing uh, to the show? I have no idea. I mean, you know, the showrunners, we filmed, uh, we filmed seven episodes and we uh, started to film the eighth. They have scripted 12 for the season. So, uh, it, you know, if and when we go back, I, I have no idea how they're going to resume it, if they're going to carry on with the season as scripted or if they're going to adjust it to the times. I mean, in general, our, I feel like our showrunners are, uh, pretty good at making the show reflect and refract uh, the current events and uh, the world of power and power brokers and, you know, how they negotiate a moment like this, I think would be a really interesting story. And I'm sure they'll get to it eventually. Uh, I just don't know if it'll be right when we go back to shooting or not. So you've been uh, fortunate to do so many different kinds of uh, shows from independent films to TV shows from cameos to really kind of meaningful arcs. What's your favorite so far? Um, or what are a couple of your favorite uh, roles that you've had to date? Oh, well, I mean, television is so, television is so interesting because you stay, you know, if you're on a long running show, you stay with the character for so long. So um, in a way, it's not a fair question because I have like deep emotional attachment to a couple of the characters that I have lived with for many, many years, like Wendy or uh, Tara on Sons of Anarchy. It's like that was six years of like a person and a relationship with a family and, um, you know, and and the, the characters get so intricate and complicated and it's hard not to have attachment to those because they're unlike any other kind of character you play. You never get to live, you know, um, you know, you, you generally take a journey and it's an arc, right? Um, but 
that that aside, I mean, that's sort of the first level of my answer. But you know, Rachel Mencken on Mad Men was also like a really inspirational and interesting person to play, and like you know, very complicated and layered. And um, that show was so artfully done. You know, Matt Matt Weiner wrote uh, just an you know. My experience of shooting that first season was that there was every character was shrouded in so much mystery, and so you were just peeling back these little onion layers, you know, as you went along. Yeah, I felt like Mad Men was one of the few shows that wire to wire I really enjoyed every season, and I think I have such an appreciation from how for how hard that is to do, and it really felt like Matt did something special in crafting those kind of multi layer characters and plots and 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 storylines. Yeah. You know, I think because with that show, nobody thought that it was going to be anything or do anything big culturally, like in the way that it did. Uh, I think Matt decided to throw everything at it in the first season. And then he, I think he knew that he was going to have to totally reinvent the wheel going into the second season. And then, um, you know, just the way that show was structured with the times, you know, skipping ahead every two years, he got to reinvent it every two years in a way that I think most people uh, don't exactly get to do that in, in long form storytelling. It's interesting. Uh, hearing you talk now, I have the experience I've had when I've talked to certain people in other industries where you're like a craftsperson's craftsperson. Like you, I can tell you really love what you do and you think about it and you like flip it over and look at it from different angles. Were you always slated to be an actor? Like, were you always on that path if I'd met you in high school, for example? You know, I feel like there are two answers to that question because there's a part of me that always knew I was going to be an actor. My father was a theater actor when I was growing up. So I was exposed to it at like, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And it washed over me in a way that was really powerful. And I had this feeling, you know, that I was going to do it. At the same time, I was very interested in being a good student. And I like went to a math and science magnet high school in New York City. And then I went to a small liberal arts college, um, a women's college and, you know, was, was an English major. And so there were like these two. And I was also pretty, you know, I think there is a world where I could have been led down some other path, but I just, yeah, I just had really great teachers along the way and it kept, it kept calling to me and I kept finding ways to do it. And, uh, but I kind of did it a little, I don't know, I feel like I did it a little bit differently and a little bit slowly than a lot of people do it. You know, I didn't go to conservatory. I spent the first part of my career in Philadelphia inside a small theater community where I was really like nurtured and I got to fail and I, you know, I didn't have any training, but I did a lot of theater. And then I decided to go back to school and get training. And, you know, I found a couple of teachers that were really, you know, important to me. and. Uh, and then I got out of school and, you know, I never did, like, I didn't shoot anything on camera until I was 30. So, uh, yeah, I just had this long kind of slow ramp into the business, which I think was what I could psychically handle the way, like the way I needed to do it. Interesting. If it had not taken off, um, where do you think you would have ended up? What do you think you would have, would have done? Um, 
I don't know if it's the character that I'm playing now, but lately my thinking has been I would have been pretty happy as a psychotherapist. Like, uh, you know, and I, I, I've actually I've had that thought a lot along the way over the last, you know, since my 20s. But and I think it's just because I like the thing that is most interesting to me is like the human condition and what makes us behave the way we behave and really talking to people, you know, like I uh, like I'm glad this is a long form interview because those short like eight minute interviews where you have to like present yourself uh they freak me out. Like, I really want to talk. I really want to, <laughs> I want to have a conversation. I like, I love sitting in a room with one person and really talking about the stuff that's really, really important. That really matters. And, um, uh, yeah. And, and lately, you know, I've also been reading, I, I've been reading a lot of psychoanalysts and things and it, it's, it is just fascinating to me. And my husband's also in that field. So there's a kind of like convergence around it. You know, I mentioned to you before we went on air that we've got a friend in common in the actor Denai Guerrera. And yes. the way I met Denai was my sister was getting her PhD in clinical psychology at NYU at the same time you were there. Oh, and wow. she was in a Bible study group with Denai. And so Fantastic. I appreciate the point you're making about the human condition and about and about that kind of interest and opportunity. Yeah. Um, have you changed a lot, do you think, as a person? I mean, I'm sure we all have, but maybe the right question is, how have you changed over the last 10 or 15 years as your star has risen, as you've gotten a chance to do these special things, as you've had your first daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think about the Maggie today versus the Maggie at 30, how different How different are those two women? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, um, pretty similar. But it's, it's funny, like as my, I think as my career has grown more public, I, I myself have grown more private. Um, especially since having a child, you know, there's sort of like, I also think in your twenties and thirties, you spend a lot of time pushing out, you know, and I've, I've never been a, like an extroverted personality, but I think of like some of the drive and, uh, some of the like attack that I could have on the world was, was more intense. Whereas I think now that, um, you know, I have a career that's kind of moving and, but I also have a child and a family that needs this kind of internal energy. I like, I think I spend more time just carving out uh, the, the private space and the, and the family space and, um, you know, being a little bit more interior in some ways. I, I saw you say elsewhere that you were shy. Yeah. Is that right? Are you, or would you think of yourself as shy or as an introvert? I think so. I mean, I'm I'm careful. Like I think of myself as being sort of like careful about uh, like how I how I speak. You know, some of my friends would say that I am like a painfully slow speaker. Uh, in a situation like this, I try to speed up a little bit so I sound like a normal person. But um, and I you know I have an allergy to social media. Like when I that that's sort of I think where I experience myself most is shy like I I couldn't possibly tweet or post or um you like make proclamations like there's no one thing that I feel comfortable saying to everybody it's like I'm happy to say things to you but I might say it in an entirely different way to somebody else and I like I want maybe that's me maybe it's a controllingness but I think it's a kind of reserve, you know, it's a, it's a kind of reserve and a carefulness. And uh, I think my, my 
carefulness around like how I speak and what I say and who I'm speaking to and the kind of attention I want to pay to who I'm speaking to uh, renders me shy in, in a lot of ways. And do you mind if I ask, do, do you think that comes fundamentally from a place of fear or from a place of, I just prefer it this way or from a prior set of experiences or where, where do you think that that comes from? Because I imagine a lot of people actually would want more of you. Do you know what I mean? They would ideally see you, enjoy your work, and probably at some level are kind of desirous of, you know, almost, you know, more of you in that public sense. I don't know. I mean, um, maybe it's maybe it's a kind of fear. Like, in order to do that, right, you have to have a public persona. You have to say, this is who I am. This is my brand. This is what I believe in. And this is what I'm going to say about that. And to me, that feels like a falseness. There's, there's falseness in that to me. And I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't say that to say that everybody who's on Twitter is false or everybody who's on Instagram is false or like, you know, I have, I have causes and I have things that I would love to trumpet about, um, but it would bring along with it a whole lot of pressure to um, share parts of my private life that I don't want to share. And, and I think it would make me very self-conscious um, because I, I guess I really also, I just really believe in the power of language and the power of speech and, you know, how, what we say and how we say it, um, it's so powerful. And I just, to me, it always, it just always feels like too, uh, a little scary, but also just like, um, there's the risk of being glib, you know, to someone or to some pocket of somebody like you, it could be funny to one person, but like glib or shallow or callow to somebody else. And I don't feel comfortable being like, well, I'm the type of person who says this in this way. Like, it just, it just doesn't feel right. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're gonna love listening to it and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart. 
in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. admire in terms of how they use words? Because I, I, I encounter you not only as an actor, but I think of you as a former English major. And so I, I think when I hear you talk about words, I can see it that way. Obviously, social media allows us to use words in yet a different way. Whose usage of words do you admire? Or do you enjoy? Do you mean um, like writers or public figures or? Yeah, I, I, I'm purposefully leaving it open because you might say, I love the way this person speaks and uses words, or I love the way this person writes, or I love the way this person tweets. But when I hear you talk about words and their power, yeah. you're making me think more broadly about words than I normally do. And so okay. I'm curious. Well, like the f- so, I mean, the way I'm speaking about it, I guess I'm, I guess I'm speaking a little politically in some way. I mean, I, I think Obama was like a masterful uh, speaker, and, you know, when he speaks and when he's speaking off the cuff or when he speaks in interviews, he's extremely careful. And I, and I think that's frustrating to some people how careful he can be. But I just feel all of this respect in the way he speaks. I feel his, like, respect for people at large and uh, his care. You know, it's, there's careful and there's care. And they're, they're like, pretty deeply connected. Uh, in some people. And so I, I feel that in, in him and, and in his wife, you know, like Michelle. I think they're, I miss them so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, uh, like, uh, and then there are, I mean, there are obviously like a lot of um, writers that I, that I love and, um, and admire and, I was just reading some Ta-Nehisi Coates. I love the way I love the way he the way he speaks and communicates ideas. And um, um, uh, I mean, then there are just there's just there's just a lot of novelists that I read and enjoy. But that's a little different from what I think we're talking about. No, 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 not at all. And and Tanasi Coates will be on this uh, show next month, so I'll let him know that uh, please do uh, that he's got one more uh, uh, one more fan. Hopefully, yeah. Well, his his novel is what I just what I just started last night, so I'm excited to read that. Wh- which one? Which of his novels? The one that there's that was just published. Um, the lady from the water. I, is that the water dancer? The water dancer. Or, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the actors you admire. Who uh, who are the actors? Given that you've made this your life's profession, who are some of the actors whose work you enjoy? There's, uh, I mean, there's, there's, I, there's a lot of actors who cross over, like stage and and film, who I really uh, love and have loved over the years. Um, um, you know, people like. Um, 
Patricia Clarkson and Laura Linney and um, uh, like, um, you know, people who, who really move through the world. Uh, Laurie Metcalf, who's like, I actually was in a play with her years ago, who's sort of spectacular and whatever she does and incredibly transformative. Um, and can inhabit like, you know, the intimacy of being in front of a camera, but also like can inhabit huge size when she's she's on a stage, which is incredible. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm partial to my co-stars. I think I think Paul Giamatti is um, and it just an incredible, an incredible specimen of, of actor, uh, you know, as well as Damien, they're very different. Um, but I, you know, I get to do a lot of really intimate things with Paul, and uh, I, I always walk away feeling like I've learned something from him, which, which is, which is great. One of the things actually I love about our show is that they hire a lot of people who uh, are like amazing New York stage actors. So a lot of the people that I really admire, um, or the type of actor that I admire, come through our show, which is exciting. You know what? I'm so funny that you say that. I think I can feel that, and and I can appreciate that when I see that. And I think it may be one of those things that I could not have said myself, but it's funny. One of the women I worked with, Elizabeth, who was watching you, she was saying, I know that she's a stage actor, and I can tell from afar uh, <laughs> that you, Maggie, had spent a lot of time in it. And so that was... Uh, was that a compliment or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was definitely a compliment because I was saying how much I loved, I heard you say in another thing, that that you see yourself as a physical actor because you were so used to being on a stage and you mm -hmm. were so used to that frame. And I really, I loved that notion of you taking skills from one world and bringing them to, you know, maybe a place like Billions where you may or may not mm -hmm. always get a chance to be as physical yeah. um, in the same way. So Yeah, I mean, I feel, I, I guess I have felt like the best, the most ideal situation is like doing a season of television or film and then doing a play and then doing a film and then doing a play. And there have been a few years in my life where I've had that kind of structure and, um, one, it's incredibly rigorous, but two, I have felt when I've done things like that back to back that um, like the intimacy of being in front of a camera then serves the feeling of what one can do on a stage and the physicality of being on stage can serve what you feel like the, the size of life you can have in front of a camera. And it just becomes more subtle when you're when you're doing them both, I think. Um, if I'm going to take you off stage and off the screen for just a second. And and if you don't mind, talk to me. You used a word when you and I were talking beforehand, ally. And I think so much about that word, given all the conversations around racial justice and Black Lives Matter and all of that. How have you been impacted by this new conversation that seems to, you know, not only here in the U.S., but all around the globe? Is that a new one for you? Is that an existing one? And how have you, how have you experienced that? How have you thought about that? Um, no, uh, for me, it's an existing conversation that um, I've been having for, I, uh, you know, a long time. I, I work, I'm on the board of an organization called Drama Club, which was founded by uh, somebody I went to grad school with, somebody Denai and I were both in school with, actually. Um, and she works with incarcerated teens doing theater and improv. And she goes into detention centers and community centers around the city. I mean, her and a, a big group of teaching artists now. 
So, um, yeah, I've been like deeply involved in that, in the world, and specifically in the world of social justice for um, teens. Well, teens, and I mean, in New York City, the codes are crazy. I mean, they're kids as young as seven who can actually be held in detention, which is, you know, anyway. So uh, it's been a part of a conversation that um, I feel I've been part of for, for a while and something I've really cared about. Like I grew up in New York and I went to public schools my whole life. And, um, you know, I mean, even when I was in high school, I remember we were constantly, we were going to protests for like, you know, how the city was funding schools and the different ways schools in different areas were being funded. And, um, you know, so it, it's something that's been uh, like on my mind uh, for, for decades, you know. Um, especially having having grown up in the city. And I think what's happening now is uh, like so long overdue. Um, I just hope it results in real change. It feels like it feels like it is, but then you read about all these state legislatures who are just like walking away without actually revising any of their uh, any of their reforms. Um, so you know, I think it still remains to be seen, but I feel like the awareness is is really exciting. Um, you know, in terms of the moment, like we were we were in the middle of raising money for this organization when um, uh, the protests started really happening, and I suddenly felt like, you know, it's my job right now to just sit and listen. And uh, it was it, it took a minute for me to find my own voice, you know, I think like as a white person, it's like there's a lot of virtue signaling going on. And, um, you know, I think it's really our job to sit and listen and hear what's happening and figure out, you know, in a really thoughtful, careful way, how we can be allies and do it, do it right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it is interesting. Um, I, I can tell you that, that, that for me growing up, Black in America, there's a, there's a, like you, there's a piece that wonders whether or not this will be real and sustainable or not. Um, uh, happy that we're having the conversation. Definitely unequivocally happy that people are engaging in the conversation. Appreciate that for a lot of people, it's hard to have the conversation on all sides. Yeah. Um, but, but also wondering, can we turn this into something meaningful so that um, a lot of the things that we still see we're not seeing a year or five years or 10 years from now. So, um, yeah. Um, so I'm always, I, I'm asking Maggie, almost everyone I see these days, whether or not, and maybe I'm just, I'm reaching for hope myself. I'm asking yeah. them how optimistic they are about whether real change can happen. And, uh, and so kind of curious to hear kind of how it's, uh, I mean, it feels you know, like this, how you've experienced it. This moment is so strange. Like everything about the moment is so effing weird you know like right, the pandemic right. and the isolation and everybody's cut off from their communities and um you know everybody's living with a lot of fear and and then we have this president who's so incendiary and you know it just it felt like a powder keg was was being packed and packed and packed and packed kind of for the last four years and and it went off and uh, you know there's a part of me that's like, well, did we actually need to like live through all of this to get to this place? Which is a, it's a dark thought, you know? It's like, 
you hope that uh, you hope that change doesn't actually have to come at the expense of um, uh, this kind of like violence and bloodshed and you know children at the border and like it's like really does it does it require all of that terribleness to arrive at something that might actually provoke change I think that's um, it's kind of the I don't know the dark question in my heart right now. Yeah, you know it's interesting, and not to completely compare the two, but I think about Paul's character in Billions, and does he have to go through what he has to go through in order <laughs> to become a different person? And 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 like you, I don't want any of us to have to go there, and I wish we could yeah. take a different path. But but you're making me wonder uh, uh, about what it takes in order for for the world to be meaningfully uh, different on any score, be it race or poverty or immigration or or healthcare or, or other things. Um, well, one thing I'll say about uh, long form television, <laughs> just to bring it back around to the original starting point, um, <laughs> is I think something that's at the heart of a lot of these long form storytelling arcs is like, can people change? Can people actually change? Do people change? Can character actually be uh, deconstructed and reconstructed in, in a way that actually results in anything significant? Does it? Can you actually move the needle on someone's character? You, you know, that is so interesting that you say that. And I think it takes the right bold writer because for me, you know, uh, uh, what you guys have done with Billions, uh, what, what Matt and everyone did with Mad Men, uh, what happened with The Wire, uh, what happened with Peaky Blinders until this more recent season, um, I think are special. And at the same time, I look at something like Homeland, and I don't know if you ever watched Homeland, but Homeland, I thought, had the greatest single season in TV history, the first season, Yeah. which is what makes the rest so heartbreaking that I felt like, <laughs> to your point about someone throwing everything they had at season one yeah. and making it so magical and then me trying to understand how it went off the rails uh, after that. Mm -hmm. You know, for someone like me who's standing on the outside, like what should I understand when I see that kind of thing happen? Um, um, maybe there is something that I'm missing uh, when I see a wonderful show like Homeland seem to kind of go left. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's an interesting that's an interesting question. I mean, that character, that character she created is so brilliant and in the first season, you just see it's so much about her mental illness. But how do you sustain her that the question of that like mental illness in the geopolitical world and then try to shift that geopolitical world, you know, every season and how it, you know, reflects off of her? It, that, that's a hard, I mean, that's a hard, be a hard thing to, to do as well as they did in the first season. But I think she's, I think her performance in that across the board is pretty amazing. You, you know, talking about Claire Danes and that, and that role, talk to me a little bit about what you're experiencing as a woman in Hollywood. And I'm using Hollywood broadly to encompass film and television, et cetera. Uh, does it feel fundamentally uh, more open, more interesting, more possible in this, I don't know what to call it, but this post Me Too era, or is it, pretty much the same? Like, what's it like when you think about quality opportunities and, and just kind of moving through uh, the world as, a, uh, as, 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 a, uh, as an actor, as a female actor? I think it's getting better. Um, you know, I, I started this show sort of pre-Me Too. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 
I, what I loved about the character was how like prismatic she was, how many pieces of the world and the storytelling she was in. It felt at that time, it felt very unusual to me for a supporting female character or even a lead female character in some ways to, um, you know, inhabit three or four different, um, be able to inhabit three or four different aspects of self uh, in in a sh in a show, usually, in my experience, women had been are consigned to, you know, just one sort of narrow band in the storytelling, and I, I feel like that's opening up. Um, I feel like, I mean, I like like everything, you know, representation in film and television across the board needs diversity. Like there need to be more female writers and directors, and until women and women of color and you know everything are 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 really creating the stories then um you know our roles are not going to be as uh prismatic and complex as as they should be but you know i feel like i feel like that world is shifting and i you know uh, you know all along in my career especially as a woman there's a lot of anxiety you know about getting older i think a lot of actresses carry around this like incredible anxiety about hitting your third, you know, hitting 30, hitting 40, hitting fit, that everything's gonna fall away. And I feel like as I've come up on those landmarks myself, my experience is that there's, there's increasingly like more there than I thought there would be. And I, I just, I think that has to do with the world of how, how proliferating television is and how many shows there are. And there's, there's, there's just more room for more voices. I think I think there's a long way to go, but I, I do think it's moving in the right direction. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Wark, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. 
You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I I get a very New York feel from you. I don't easily see you living in lots of other places. Am I wrong? (laughs) Uh, Well, I've mostly lived in New York, and I lived in Philly for a while, and I lived in Los Angeles. I spent many years bouncing between New York and L.A. And I didn't think I would like Los Angeles, but I I really did. Uh, Because? It kind of, you know, I think I naturally have a slower rhythm. And um, I think the air and the sunshine and um, it's more, you know, there's more outdoor life. And I found it very hard to take anything too seriously, uh, which was nice. You know, it's sort of nice to LA has a sort of like slightly it's so sensually pleasing and it's sort of like a little bit soporific and I don't know it gave me a nice floaty feeling that I I definitely don't have when I'm I'm in New York interesting you would you ever see yourself living overseas any anywhere overseas that would excite you to to move to at some point um my husband lived in London for a long time and uh you know, I, I I could imagine us doing, you know, like doing a play in London would be very exciting, but but more like Italy, you know, like I think like in terms of in terms of pace of life and and um, uh, the topography and the people, I think Italy would probably be closest to what my sweet spot or something. Oh, I like the sound of that. Italy's a, a mm. beautiful place. Yeah. Have you been to the Amalfi Coast before? I've driven driven it, but I haven't spent a lot of time there. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think one of the most beautiful places in the world. If you don't mind me asking, how did you and your husband meet? How did you guys how did you guys come across each other? We met through um, a friend of ours. Uh, we were he was living in London at the time, and I was living in LA at the time. But we were both in New York at the time that we met, and so. We met and hit it off, and then he went back to London, and I went back to LA, and we basically like corresponded. We wrote emails for like uh, the better part of a year. I mean, we saw each other a little bit in there, and we got together and broke up, and that. But we have like hundred, like hundreds of pages of these letters that we wrote each other in that first year. Just sort of how we got to know each other. You, if you don't mind me saying, you're you definitely are like a slow build person. Like you slow build your career in kind of a nice way. You you, you slow build the relationship, uh-huh. uh, and maybe all towards the good. Yeah, maybe all towards uh, the good. I think so. I, I it's a really, I mean, it's a really interesting way to get to know a person. Um, and I, you know, I'm not conv- 
I don't know if I should say this. I think it's all right. I think he'd be all right with me saying it, but I'm not totally convinced that we would have really found each other in the way that we did if we'd done it all like in person. I think we've, we found things about each other in that, in that correspondence that really, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was intense. It was interesting. I, I, lo- I love the sound of that. And especially for someone who says that she can be a little bit careful. I wonder if you're one of those people who in your writing, it gives you a little more freedom. Uh, and, and so that you were able to share differently. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, Maggie, let me, uh, finally, let me take you off screen uh, a little bit. And we call this kind of a little bit of our lightning round. And, uh, and so I'd love to hit you with oh, no. quick. <laughs> no, no. See, that's what makes me nervous right there. The lightning round, I get all tense. No, not at all. Lightning <laughs> round's totally good. It, it's, all, it's all kinds of fun. Okay. Uh, lightning round's all kinds of fun. Okay. Um, your favorite sport or your favorite exercise? Yoga. Yoga. Oh, interesting. Hot yoga or no? No. No, not hot yoga, hot the yoga. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Okay. Favorite food? Italian. Italian. The role that you wish you had gotten that you did not get? Oh, um, um, I'm like totally blanking. The, um, the, the character from My Fair Lady, um, uh, what's her name? Anyway. My Fair Lady, the character from My Fair Lady. Eliza Doolittle. Eliza Doolittle. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Claire Danes. Claire Danes got that role. <laughs> interesting. All right. So flip it to the other side. Which one did you turn down that in retrospect, you're like, ah, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have turned that down. Mm. I can't think of one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where might, where might we see you in 10 years? Ooh. Uh, Italy. Oh, okay. It's going to happen. I love it. Italy, Italian food, it all, uh, it, it all comes together. And um, uh, uh, your daughter, when does she make you smile the most? Um, she makes me smile the most when she pretends she, since we've been in quarantine, she has this little, under the table live all these little animals, these little dogs and cats and spiders and squirrels. And she embodies each of them. She comes up and she's like, and now I'm Selena, the cat. And um, every time she turns into one of these little animals who have been accompanying her during this this pandemic moment, I, I smile because her imagination is like off the hook. Oh, oh, is that right? Does she ask you good questions or does she uh, tell good stories? She tells good stories. She doesn't. I mean, she tells the most amazing stories and she pretends to be these characters and tells me stories about their lives and, you know, what they do and what they eat and fights that they get into and um they you know there's like a whole mythology that she's constructed during this time and it's it's really amazing i love that she's a future actor herself or or screenwriter who knows what something something yeah i'm hoping she's behind the camera myself but we'll see oh you are why is what why why is that (laughs) oh i don't know uh i shouldn't have said that no i you know if she was an actor obviously that would be kind of amazing to share that to share that with my child but uh you know in terms of like um you know uh, it's 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 a complicated life to wish on your child you know there's just there's just a lot of uncertainty and ups and downs and travails all, all sorts of things but i'm sure that would be true with anything she did she will do well i'm sure uh last question for you 
Uh, I bet you've uh, gathered some interesting celebrity fans uh, as a result of some of your roles. Who are one or two of the most interesting celebrity fans who uh, you either come to know are fans of yours or you've actually met? Who are who are some of those folks? Um, let's see. Oh, I'm so bad at... I'm going to get off with you and I'm going to be like, oh, and this person and this person. Um, uh, Nico Case, who's a singer-songwriter that I really love, once tweeted that she loved me in something and somebody told me about it and I was really excited. Um, I learned recently that Barack Obama was a fan of Sons of Anarchy, I think. I don't know if that's true, but I yes. was like... Yes, yes, yes. You do know that's true? Yeah, I do know that's true. I don't know true. if that's true. Yes. Really? <laughs> yes, it is. It's definitely true. Um, yeah. And I was... That was that was pretty exciting. Um, uh, but there's somebody that I am totally... Oh, I learned that... Um, I learned that Megan Rapino was a big fan of Billions, which was really exciting. Um, and there's 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 a couple of other people that I'm forgetting right now, but I, I love it. We were big Megan fans at the uh, at, at the show here, uh, and I apologize. I had one last good question for you about dreams and dreaming, yeah. which may be appropriate given everything you do. Uh, we're, we're always talking about uh, how do people dream fearlessly, and how do people not only dream but realize those dreams. What have you learned uh, about not only how to envision what you want, but actually to bring it true? What, what could you share with other people out there who may be trying to chart their own path or move things forward? Well, um, I think, you know, I think as an actor and particularly as an actress um, in this world, uh, I think the, I think the, the most important thing is authenticity. And I think that it's really easy to feel like you don't look right or you don't sound right or you don't have the right taste in clothes or uh, you're gonna make a fool of yourself if you um, if you do something like from your most authentic place. Uh, you know, as an actor, I feel like sometimes we, we read things or we are auditioning for something and we're like, this is, you know, you, you have an idea of the, the person who's actually right for the role. And I think that the most important thing in terms of like pursuing a lot, the life of the actor is that you move from your most like authentic self fearlessly. And uh, I think that if, I think that when people actually do that in their careers, like a lot of things open up for themselves, uh, but it's, it's an act of courage, you know, like, I think it's, I think you have to be really brave. Um, is that what you mean by dreaming, dreaming big? It, it, it is, it is. And, and, and if you don't mind me asking, like what allowed you to become that courageous or to become that brave? Was there a moment? Was there a person? Was there a thing? Was there a group of people? Like, where did you come into yourself? Because I could imagine auditioning all the time. It's easy actually to lose that bravery. You so want the job that that it may be hard, but, but where, did, where did you get your bravery from? How did you come across your bravery? I mean, I think I've been really fortunate in my life. I think we need, I think we need mentors so badly. Like there's so many people I know, uh, I feel like who have so much potential, but never had somebody reflecting back to them at the right moment, um, like uh, what they needed to see about themselves that could really, you know, that they could really do it. And um, I've just had I've just had great teachers. But when I was in grad school, 
um, I had a, an amazing acting teacher named Ron Van Lu, and I had uh, the woman who ran the program was another teacher named Zelda Fitzchandler, who founded the Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. And she had a way of speaking to us um, collectively. She would give these amazing speeches, and she was always invoking like Freud and shamanism and, you know, like the role of the actor as, you know, this great spiritual undertaking. And, you know, she really like invested people with this sense that they weren't just actors, you know, like you're not just like a lame actor who's, you know, wants attention. you actually have a role in society and like storytellers are absolutely essential. And she like, gave me that feeling. And I feel like that has carried me through. Like she really, I have so much gratitude to her. She's not with us anymore, but like if there's one person I could reach from beyond to say thank you to, it's, it's her. Maggie Sip, I so enjoyed uh, talking with you. Um, I so appreciate you coming on. I appreciate who you are. You've given me a lot to think about. That's really interesting hearing you talk about careful and and even just the way I hear you say the word careful I could tell how much you were thinking about the word care and the word careful and so uh, I hope you'll come back hope this won't be the uh, the only time you uh, you come and join me I would love to I've loved talking to you thanks for having me thanks for listening if you're enjoying the intimate conversations on the Carlos Watson show podcast please recommend us to your friends and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.